Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. We're going to continue this morning focusing on who's your one. And I hope that you've been praying for your one, that one person that you've committed to praying for and possibly even reaching with the gospel. Maybe you've invited them to church already. Maybe you've gone to visit them. Uh, Again, it was also really nice to have Brother Alan Dotson with us last week to fill in while you allowed me very graciously to go and minister to our troops. Always great to have Alan uh, give a very timely and, and wonderful message to our church as he always does. Before that, we left off in Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus calling his first disciples, simply saying to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. As we hone in on our one, that's kind of my goal for us this morning is that we would not only continue praying for that one, but we would actually go and do what Jesus said his followers would do. You're going to go fishing for people. We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 5 this morning. The story of the healing of the paralytic, one that most of us probably remember from Sunday school. And through this story, I want us to realize that we, as individuals, have a personal role and responsibility in the mission of Christ to seek and to save the lost. Now, there's an interesting thing that takes place. How many is excited we're going into the fall and the potential for sports coming this fall? Anybody excited about that? Uh, I know I am. And but it, it's funny to me, and I learned about this a little bit in college, studying communication and society and different things. It, it, it's fascinating when we watch a football game or a, a basketball game, right? There's a, a handful of people actually playing the game. They're on the field or on the court. And you've got maybe thousands, maybe even millions of spectators participating by watching, right? And whether the team wins or whether the team loses. For example, if the Cats win or the Cats lose, what do we say? We don't say they won or they lost. What do we say? We won. We lost. Just like we were there with them scoring points, right? Likewise, the church, unfortunately, sometimes equates spectatorship with participation. We need more participants in the church and far fewer spectators only. To capture this idea, we're going to look at the story in Luke chapter 5. And the questions for us this morning are this. What are we willing to do to get others to Jesus? How far are we actually willing to go with someone? How much are we willing to say? How much are we willing to invest into their life? How much are we personally willing to lose that they might be saved? Story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but Luke puts it this way in chapter 5. He says, On one of those days while he, Jesus, was teaching... Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. And they tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, 
They went up on the roof and lowered him in on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. And immediately he got up before them, picked up what he'd been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, We have seen incredible things today. Now at this point... In his ministry, Jesus is traveling from place to place. It's still fairly early in his public ministry. And you have several characters in this story. Of course, we have Jesus. We have the crowd. We have these friends. And then we have the paralytic man himself. But this morning, I want to focus on these friends. And just let me say, this guy has some good friends, right? How many are thankful for good friends like that? Hopefully, you've got some good friends like that. That even when you're not able or willing to get yourself to the Lord. They're willing to pray you there or carry you there or drag you there and lift you up. These friends literally carried this man to the Lord. I think we need friends like that, but more important for us churches, we need to be friends like this. Four characteristics of these men this morning. First is these men had a mission. They knew that their dear friend had a need. He had a problem and they believed in their hearts that Jesus was the solution to his problem. And so they made it their mission to get him to the man from Galilee, to get him to Jesus. And when there were setbacks, when they didn't think that they were going to be able to do it, they didn't give up. They simply found another way. And see, mission is what drives us as organizations, as individuals, and every great organization and every great person knows their mission. Every great person knows their why for existing and being on this, this planet. Here are some Fortune 500 mission statements. See if you can pick these out. First one should be pretty easy. To save people money so they can live better. Or as they say, save money, live better. That's Walmart. Everybody loves Walmart, right? Maybe you can pick this one. To entertain, inform, and inspire people around the globe through the power of unparalleled storytelling reflecting the iconic brands, creative minds, and innovative technologies that make ours the world's premier entertainment company. Think Mickey Mouse. Walt Disney Company. Here's one that's interesting. Their mission statement is to give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. Guess who that is? Facebook. I think they may be missing the mark a little bit and driving the world a little farther apart. Just my opinion. I like this one, though. To be our customer's favorite place and way to eat and drink. McDonald's. Amen. All right. What about Jesus? What was Jesus' mission? Why did he come to this earth? In Luke 19.10, Jesus very plainly says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. If that was Jesus' mission, don't you think that should be our mission 
as well. Fortunately for us, Jesus gives us our mission, the Great Commission, to go and to make disciples of all nations that we've talked about. But these four friends, these men, they knew their mission. They knew their one. And what we see is them working together to do whatever it took. And I think the church should model this. We should work together in one mind and one accord to do whatever it takes to complete that mission, to seek and save the lost successfully. So, What's your mission? How's that going? Maybe better said, who's your mission? How are you doing in completing that mission? You're one. But notice the next thing about these friends. They not only had a mission, but they had an eager expectation. I think that these men actually believed wholeheartedly that Jesus could heal this man. And we don't know all the backstory. We don't know exactly how they knew about Jesus. But we know that they believed enough about him that he was the answer for their friend. And so they set out and they, they, they were driven by this mission. But the mission itself was rooted in this eager expectation, in this faith that Jesus Christ would do what only Jesus Christ could do. They knew their friend. Think about the context. They knew he had a serious plot problem, as many people do. It was something he could not do for himself. It was something they could not do for him, but they could at least, at the very least, get him to the feet of Jesus where Jesus could do what no other man could do. Do you have an eager expectation that God is actually going to do something? When you sit down every day and you pray for that one lost person in your life, do you actually believe that maybe, just maybe, God is going to save them over the next 15 days now? Do you have that kind of faith, that kind of eager expectation? Now, listen close. I'm not talking about this heretical thing that we, we see that's so popular, this name it and claim it kind of thing. If you believe it enough, poof, it's just going to happen. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that we see all throughout Scripture where the people of God have enough faith in God to step out into the unknown Trusting that whatever God decides to do next is good and is perfect and all part of his plan. For example, think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who had the faith to refuse to bow down before King Nebuchadnezzar. And they believed, they actually believed God could and maybe would deliver them from the flames of the fiery furnace. But what did they tell Nebuchadnezzar? So, King, even if he doesn't, we will refuse to bow down to you. Think about Abraham. Father Abraham, who literally stepped out in faith, not knowing where God was going to take him or exactly what God was going to do with him, but trusting God at his word and being willing to follow him wherever God led him. When's the last time that you, you just very simply took God at his word? That you believe the person, the people you've been praying for might actually get saved if... You shared the gospel with them. Like these men, we understand that lost people need a cure. We believe, I'm sure, I'm fairly certain we believe, Jesus is the cure to that problem, right? But are you willing to act on that faith, on that eager expectation, and do whatever it takes to get them there? Because it's not always easy. Notice the next thing we see. is These men encountered an obstacle. They find out that Jesus is in town. Again, we don't know how far they've traveled. Have you ever carried a person on a litter? Some of you folks that's been in the military, you ever had to do that? 
It is exhausting. You would not believe how tough, even with three other people, carrying a, a, a person on a litter is exhausting. So we don't know how far they drug or carried their friend, but finally they get him to the place where Jesus is, and you can begin to imagine just the excitement as they get closer to where Jesus is doing this teaching, right? Maybe they're, they're looking down and saying, hey man, we're almost there. You're almost to the, to the one that can heal you, the one that can make you well. Maybe they can hear Jesus preaching up in the distance. And all of a sudden, as they get close, they realize they can't get in. There's people in the way. There's literally obstacles of people. And I think we need to just pause and understand that in this particular case, the obstacles were the really religious and pharisaical people of Jesus' day. Now, this is another lesson for another time, but listen, God forgive us, church, if we, the church, are ever an obstacle to someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ. This is where many of us would probably give up. I'm probably guilty of this, too. We would say what? Well, I tried. I planted a seed, maybe watered a little bit, and now it's time for somebody else to come along and, and finish this up. It's on them. But not these friends. They were driven by mission, filled with eager expectation, and so they found another way. Listen, I think if it's a matter of life and death, or if it's a matter of heaven and hell, I think when the door closes, we may need to start digging. We may need to just start tearing through the roof, finding something different, a better plan. Maybe we need to pray more or pray harder, but do something because we are so apt to give up prematurely on people, on relationships, on our church. Just because there's an obstacle in the way does not mean it's an impossibility because our God absolutely loves impossible situations. So when you start to dig, we've got to understand, though, you may get more than you bargained for, as these men did. They got more than they bargained for. They wanted Jesus to make their friend, what? Walk again. And he, he did that. But before he does that, Jesus meets the greatest need that anybody has. And that's the need for their sins to be forgiven. And the Bible says, seeing there, the friends, not his, but the friend's faith. He looks at the, the paralytic and said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And then just to prove that he is the one that has the power and the authority to forgive sins, he tells the man, get up and walk. Take your stuff and go home. I think what's neat about this is that in the final verse, people recognize that something miraculous had taken place. They said, we've seen incredible things today. And I don't think they're just talking about a crippled man get up and walk, as incredible as that is. They saw this man whose entire life of sins had been erased, forgiven before their very eyes. See, we get so wrapped up in the external things, and we focus on these little things that we need to do different and do better, this behavior modification, and, and we should focus on that. As a Christian, you should live differently than a non-Christian. But here's the thing. People need so much more than simple behavior modifications. Lost people need a change of heart. And no amount of self-help studies, no great motivational speaker, no inner reflection is going to bring about that. You may behave just a little bit better and have a better attitude, but the only thing that's going to change your heart and melt the heart of stone is the Lord Jesus Christ. At some point, we were all this paralyzed man, weren't we? Crippled, helpless, 
full of sin, hopeless. For those of you that are saved, you look back and you realize, but then Jesus came into my life. It's like we've been watching the Chosen series and Mary Magdalene in the the video simply says, I was one way. Now I'm another way. And the only thing that happened between was him, was Jesus. This morning, though, maybe that's still you. And and maybe you're you're that man on that mat. And you realize, you know what? I'm actually fortunate because I do have friends like this. They've been aggravating me to death, inviting me to church, trying to drag me to church, trying to tell me about being a Christian, trying to tell me about Jesus. And listen, if that's you this morning, it's time for you to get up off your mat and follow Jesus. Now, for the rest of us, like I said, church, we need to ask ourselves if we're like these friends. Are we fishing for people as Jesus told his disciples to do? It's time for us to get off the sidelines, to get involved, to storm the field. Because what did Jesus say? The field is ripe unto harvest. I want to end with a story someone wrote as a fishing tale. But it goes like this. It says, now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. And in fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Week after week, month after month, year after year, those who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about the task of fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means. They defended fishing as an occupation, and they declared that fishing is always the primary task of a fisherman. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing, for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on their big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters, And the plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. But the one thing they didn't do, they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized the board to send out fishermen to other places where the fish, where there were many fish. They hired staff and appointed committees and held many meetings to define fishing, defend fishing, and decide what new streams should be thought about, but the staff and committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, expensive training centers were built whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. And over the years, courses were offered in the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to fish, The reactions of fish and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many were graduated and were given the fishing license that they were hoping for. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters which were filled with many fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and prayed over and sent to fish, but like the fishermen back home, they too never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations, 
Some felt their job was to to relate to the fish in a good way. So the fish would know the difference between a good and a bad fisherman. Others felt that simply letting the fish know they were nice and land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was surely enough. And now it's true that many fishermen sacrificed. They put up with all kinds of difficulties, and some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every single day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen, but they never fished. And imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish were not actually fishermen at all. No matter how much they claimed to be, yet it, it, didn't sound, it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman year after year if he never fishes? Or more plainly stated, is one really following Jesus if he's not fishing? Church, it's time for us to stop talking about fishing, to head out into deeper waters and truly fish. Somebody's soul is on the line if we don't. And as someone else has said, if we don't start now, when? And if we don't do it, who will? Stand with us as we pray. Father, this morning... I pray, Lord, that we would simply be reminded of the reality of the situation that we're in. Lord, my goal is not to beat anyone up. It's not to discourage us. But Lord, to simply remind us that when a person's lost and they die without Jesus, there is no hope. we don't take you Lord to the ends of the earth if we don't take you not only to the nations but to our neighbors no one else on this planet is going to do that you have commissioned us Lord to seek and to save the lost to go after that one and God I know that you love catching big fish You love saving the ones that we think cannot be saved, will never be saved. Lord, those are the exact ones that I know you can save. That I've seen you save. God, this morning as our one is on our mind and on our heart, Father, I pray that it would just be we would be committed to doing whatever it takes just like these friends if we have to kick down doors if we have to dig holes in the roof if we have to drag them to the feet of Jesus kicking and screaming God please save them before it's too late we ask this Lord in Jesus name morning if you're here and you're like that man that's on that stretcher, crippled, paralyzed by your sin, by life, hopeless, helpless, and you need Jesus this morning, why don't you come and 
and follow him. If you need to follow up with a decision to follow him and you know you need to be baptized, why don't you come this morning and take that first step of obedience and follow up in believer's baptism. If you're here this morning, church, and that one person is on your heart so heavy, why don't you just come again and pray for that one in your life? Why don't you come as we sing this morning? Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.